uh, Skullboys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along. I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was. I just want to thank you. Yeah, no, it was me. He wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting on his glove. Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last oh. night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing today. We're just sort of just winging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Street Press Podcast. My name is Sean Fraser. I hope you are doing well. Summertime here in Australia. Cricket's on. Barbecues are happening. Great time of year. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it. Um, today, a really special guest. He uh, he saved in my phone as Bangers Bob. Now, his actual name is Bob Trigg. I met him about uh, 10 years ago. I, uh, I was driving around and I bumped into him at a stall. He was cooking sausages. Not just any sausages, gourmet sausages. <laughs> And, uh, and there he was standing there cooking some sausages with his blue mohawk and we were having a chat all that all those years ago and, um, you know, anyone who's got a blue mohawk is a friend of mine and we got talking about music. Turned out he'd been a bit of a road dog. He'd been uh, on, the, on the road with a lot of big Aussie artists and uh, I was very interested in his story. Uh, when I got this podcast together and I hadn't spoken to Bob in, you know, close to 10 years, I got an email through the letters segment, which if you listen all the way through to the end of, you know, the podcast episode after the interview, we have a segment called Letters. And he wrote on into me saying that he'd been listening to every episode, which I was pumped about. He told me that he's got a bit of a studio and he wants me to come around and check it out. So I said, no worries, get the beers cool and uh, let's, let's do a podcast and let's chat about you know, your story. And I was really, really pumped for this one. And I headed over to Hardy's Bay and uh, we sat down, turned the mics on, cracked a couple of tinnies and had a chat. And he spoke about the touring days, uh, some of the bands that he toured with, his favourites, some of the ones that really let him down. There's, uh, there's one band in particular, and it's in this interview, he talks about, it was basically two weeks of hell he reckons, um, and I suppose it's why you should never meet your heroes. That's a that's a saying that they have. Um, what happened at the big day out in 2004? Now Bob is standing side stage, and something went wrong, and it ate him up. Every night he went to bed until years later, it was all smoothed over with the band. Another thing about Bob is he's a bit of an entrepreneur, so he got hit up a long time ago about doing this thing called a band on a barge. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Putting a band on a barge out in the ocean and uh, people would rock up and, and watch the bands. Simple as that. But council went to um, to keen on the idea. So he tells the story of the glory days of the band on the barge out at Hardy's Bay. Let's get him on. The man from Bangers and Moss Studio, the old touring manager to many Aussie bands, Bob Trigg. <laughs> Here we are. Hi. We've got I'm Bob. My phone. Bob, I'm uh, I'm in your studio, mate. This Thank is you. uh this is a very cool place and it's just below your house. This is sick. Thank you. Did you uh did you build this one yourself? No, I didn't. Shout out to my builder Brent, BBM Constructions. Uh, amazing. Brent and uh Brandon and Barney. All the bees. Um <laughs> they did it. It took maybe I'm just gonna say seven months. It was pretty quick. 
It's unreal. So no one can actually see the room that we're sitting in. But yeah, you go down these steps, open up this uh, big wooden sliding door and then straight into the studio and the studio has got everything. It's got guitars all over the walls. It's got uh, a and B room. Mm-hmm. Last time I saw you was, I reckon, close to eight or nine years ago. I was driving around in this uh, radio van and I think I popped in to a place just up the road here and you were cooking the barbecue. Correct. And that's, that's it's just stuff. Bl- I didn't have this. No, no. Yeah, oh, that's right. You had a blue mohawk. A blue what happened mohawk? to the blue, blue yeah, yeah, mohawk? Yeah. Well, how long did that last? Uh, it was the whole time yeah. uh, that I was doing that barbecue. So the barbecue, it was called Bangers and Mosh. It yeah. still is. So the studio is called Bangers and Mosh. I just basically transferred the name of the barbecue sausage business into the studio. studio. Yeah. Like, like, why not? Yeah. And all 200 of my Facebook or no, Instagram followers jumped across with me at the same time. But uh, I'll probably hopefully get more followers after this podcast. But uh, <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mum might come and check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but sh- – uh, now I've totally forgotten what we were talking well, about. We oh, my blue you. mohawk. Yeah. yeah, you had the blue mohawk and, was, and you were cooking sausages. Cooking sausages. And yeah. it was like a rock and roll themed barbecue. Travelled around, did markets and festivals yeah. and down the front here at Hardy's Bay. It was fun while it lasted but it was like gambling and I'm not a gambler. Um, so you could be out there in perfect weather and five people will show up mm. and you throw on bread and sausages away at the end of the day and it just got a bit soul-destroying. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, when you had great days, it was like, I guess, winning at the track or on the pokies. Like, yeah, happy days. Yeah, especially if you went to like a festival or you're working at, yeah. um, at the, f- the Actually, fairs. And festivals so. were brutal, man, because a lot of people, they're there for the bands. They're not there so much for the food and, and you're just sort of like just slapping them together and, throwing it out there and and it was they weren't that much fun to be honest with you but i'm glad i did it for the experience and the barbecue was cool it was like a pig it it was was a shaped like a pig that was like (laughs) in a heavy metal band as well like he had a blue mohawk chains and and a couple of piercings and stuff Uh, pretty stereotypical i guess but um yeah, he was uh, he was the centerpiece of the whole thing. He actually got a lot of comments. I've actually ooh, still got the um, barbecue, but um, and the it's going to be like what are those things you know when you go to like an old hunting bar and they have the heads of the animals. He's going to be on display soon. I just <laughs> on the wall somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah, a, yeah. As you walk into the studio, because he's he was a, he's played a special part in my life. That pig. His name's Brent. Yeah. That's right. Brent Brent the Metal metal Pig. pig. That's it. So he was kind of, I guess you could say Brent the Metal Pig was my alter ego. Like who hasn't wanted to be heavy in a heavy metal band? Yeah. I mean. He was heavy metal. Yeah, he he was. was. He was like literally heavy metal. He was damn heavy, man. (laughs) Especially when you were packing up by yourself at the end of a long, hot day. When I I saw you there with with the Blue Mohawk and the barbecue, I was like, this guy's this up guy's my tripping. alley for yeah. sure. And I stopped and uh, came over and had, had a chat with you. And then it turned out we had a lot in common. Um, you love music, but you've worked in the music industry probably before I was born, maybe. I don't know. But you've when were been you born? You, uh, 89. Ooh, no, I, was, I hadn't. Well, You're not that old, are you? No, I'm not that old. <laughs> I, was in, I was in sixth grade in 1989. There you go. Um, <laughs> wasn't quite in the music industry. I did work in the music industry for many years, which was amazing part of my life. I uh, joined bands when I was about 16, 17, playing drums in like punk rock bands. My gateway band for the guitar was ACDC because it's yeah. pretty 
pretty easy to figure out the chords. They're a lot of the same chords, just different rhythms. Yeah, yeah. Well, but they're, they're still, to this day, they are my favourite band. And then that band called Nirvana put out um, Nevermind. Heard of them. Changed yeah. my life. So, yeah, when, when Nevermind came out, I was like, wow, and they're still only playing like a handful of chords, but it's like different to ACDC. Mm. And, and then the drummer, Dave Grohl's, like he's a hero of mine. But, yeah, so that came out in 92 and we sort of formed our first band after that. Fast forward a few years and um, I'd finished school but didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. But I'd still go and see gigs all the time and I'd always be fascinated with what the person was doing that wasn't in the band but was standing behind the big desk with all the knobs and buttons and slidey things. And I was like, what? what are they doing? And as it turns out, they were controlling the sound. And I was like, that is a cool job. That's what I want to do. So the first year out of school, so it would have been 19, we were sitting on the grass at home bake, just having a beer or whatever. And and I was looking at all the people on stage setting stuff up and I turned to my right and there was a person there with the laminate, you know, like a backstage pass. Yep. And I was like, whoa, hey, you must like, are you in a band? And he was like, nah, I'm a sound guy. It was better than meeting someone in a band for me. Yeah. I was like, no way. And how do you do it? And all this, how did yeah. you get into it? And, and, uh, and they said that they just, just sort of hung out with the bands. Like they played music as well, but they just, much like me, they had no idea, but they would sort of help set up the PA and stuff. So that's kind of how I, I got into it, I guess. Every time we did a gig, like my band, I would set up the PA and just plug stuff in wrong and make horrible feedback, but <laughs> gradually worked it out. But that's handy when you're when you're starting a band and if you're putting on your own shows, for example, it costs money to, to hire the, the mixing guy and, and they're worth 100%. every cent, but if you can do it yourself, yeah, yeah. Um, that's it's that's pretty handy. Bit be- yeah, it, for sure, for sure. So that's how I started getting into it. And I remember I went to a, a thing at, at the Manning Bar at the Sydney University, which was like a, a DW drum uh, clinic. And I ran into this guy there purely by luck and we got talking and uh, he was in a band that were looking for a sound guy and I said, I'm a sound guy. <laughs> Total bullshit. <laughs> but he said, really? Okay, cool. Well, you should come and have – like we're about to go on tour and do a um, – we're supporting this band – called George. They were pretty big. They had female singer. They had a number one record for a while. They were a pretty big band. But anyway, this band that I was working for, who were called Waikiki, were going to go on tour with them and play a couple of shows. And I don't know how, why or when, but I just did everything I'd sort of read about and taught myself to do. They all came up after and said, that was the best the band's ever sounded. Wow. Here's the next list of dates, so like huge list of dates. Are you available? And I'm just like, okay. Things stepped up pretty, so, like, man, pretty quickly. Totally, yeah, <laughs> total step up from like sort of hacking around in pubs and, and setting up all the stuff. And All right, so so that gig, right, do you reckon you knew what you, was, you were doing at that stage or were you still? Uh, I, I did, basically. I, like I knew how to get the sound in, like you plugged it into the stage box thing <laughs> and, and then you got to get the sound into the desk and push the faders up and if you push the fader up too much, it's going to make it feed back yeah. and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm a bit of a sponge. Like I've been watching other sound dudes, people for ages and ages. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how I did it. I just, yeah, they said come on tour and uh, see what happens and I was like, okay, great. 
and went on tour and the rest is history. Uh, we got through that tour okay, did another few tours. Maybe a year or so later parted ways with that band, but then uh, by then I'd toured enough with another band and, and they were looking for a sound guy so or sound person, I should say, and they said, are you available? Yep, cool. And then that happened and, and we ended up going through that venue called the Annandale Hotel and what happens in venues like that, there's a, like a, an in-house sound engineer and they were about to part ways with the current one that they had for some reason and so they said, hey, you're a Sydney boy, do you want to come and be the in-house guy at the Annandale? And I was just like, hell yeah. They were getting some amazing bands through there like The Living End, The Vines and Jet. They were having like secret shows. Kings of Leon did a warm-up show there before their big day out. Like it was just crazy. So a lot of these, sorry, I should say as well, a lot of these big touring bands um, would bring their own front of house engineer, but that was equally as cool. It was like going to like high school for sound engineers. Yeah, you could sit there and, and watch them. And sit there and watch and just hang out and help, watch some amazing shows. But a lot of the times the support bands or other bands that were on tour, they couldn't afford to bring their own. So that's where I'd step up and just mix them because I'm getting paid by the venue to do it. And that was a great experience because there's no better way to learn pretty much any trade and i'd consider audio engineering a trade i mean it's not like laying bricks or building a house it's hard to do it's hard to get right and it's hard to be good at it i reckon 100 percent. and the hard thing about it as well that i found is it's really subjective like you might think something sounds amazing but the person next to you thinks it sounds true dogs and that was something that was always a bit difficult to sometimes deal with and sometimes that would really ruin your night but I'd like to think that I was okay at it. So you were doing a lot of the mixing and engineering and stuff but there's a part where you did a bit of managing as well. Were you managing bands? Yeah, so I wasn't managing bands but I was – it's called tour management and production management and um, so it's not – a manager of a band – as like when you're the manager, from what I could see, a manager would be like they handle the day-to-day stuff of the whole artist's career from doing like dealing with the record labels, dealing with the press, dealing with the booking agencies, dealing with everything and then they'll employ someone like me to be the tour manager or the production manager to look after just everything to do with the tour that they're about to go out on. So what would happen in my case is they would – Uh, say hey we've got this tour coming out the agent has booked all these dates here they are here's the budget see ya and then I'd go away and sit in front of the computer for hours and book all the flights accommodation ground transport production like depending on the band we had some pretty cool stuff like confetti drops and balloon drops and cannons and pyro so that's all all on your head to organize yeah 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 and Um, but then you got you got there's a lot of back and forth with the manager the band i guess is the boss or the artist because they're the we're all getting paid by them ultimately yeah but i would usually deal more often than not with the manager or the promoter as well but usually managers and um and it was it was really good um it was a lot of work less i did less mixing because it became a lot of the bands on a, a small budget. They would often say, "Can you tour manage as well as mix?" And I'd be like, uh, "Yeah." And for a while, I did do that, but something would invari- invariably suffer, and it was usually the mixing because you never would have time to 
do anything like do a proper sound check or get everything up nice and neat because you're trying to sort out the guest list yeah. and the rider and and all this stuff that happens on the day of the show and it, and it got to the point where by then it was kind of lucky as well I was working for bands that were big enough that I could actually say no nah, I'm just going to tour manage this or just production manage this and you can employ a separate um, like front of house engineer and, and stuff so who like were some that. of those bands that came through that you, um, some of the bigger ones I remember on your podcast about two or three weeks ago now yeah. you said when Jet. you read out my email Jet okay yeah I did work for Jet I definitely didn't manage them <laughs> um, I, I thought I had it no, wrong that's no, no, alright I better call that out now I didn't manage Jet they're um, managed by I think they're still managed by Winterman and Goldstein but anyway whatever I guitar teched for Jet, which oh, yeah. was unreal. Yeah. It was just for one tour and it was the Big Day Out tour of 2004, oh. which was amazing because that was the year that they put out uh, Are You Gonna Be My Girl. So every time they played, it was fucking packed. Yeah, like, I remember watching that on TV. Yeah, like, it, was it was a massive incredible. Um, um, and, and people were coming. Like that was the year that Metallica were headlining. And I remember one day the, the, there was two Sydney shows that year, which had never been done before. And I turned around, and uh, behind me was James Hetfield and Kirk Hammett oh, so from cool. Metallica, yeah. watching Jet from this. And I'm just standing, and Kirk Hammett goes, "Can I stand here?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yes." Like, of course you can. Yeah, you can do whatever you want, man. You know, Kirk Hammett from Metallica. But um, I was in I was in Las Vegas once. I thought, um, and I'm walking through. I saw Kirk Hammett there at a at a table, and no one cared who he was. Like it was just yeah, well. you know, you know what it's like in America. Like yeah, that's someone famous. Who cares? And I saw him. I just yelled Kirk. I just, I didn't mean to, but I was like, you know, you just, you've seen that person so much in your life. Finally, he was right in front of me and I went, Kirk. And he just smiled at me. <laughs> I was like, shit. That's cool, man. It's <laughs> it's so, I mean, I was just really stoked because it's, well, A, they weren't jerks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's really good to know that people who you've always looked up to from when you were a little kid, they're not jerks. So was, that was a big thrill for me. But actually that jet gig was actually kind of shit. Um, not because the jet was shit, but um, the guitar player called Cam, mm. he uh, he had for Are You Gonna Be My Girl, he would always bring out this SG, Gibson SG guitar. It was beautiful. But um, on at least two or three of the shows, as he was playing the main riff of Are You Gonna Be My Girl, it cut out. And oh. for, for like several shows, me and there was another tech and a front of house guy, we thought it was the, one of the amps, so we would always test everything anyway and it, it was always fine before every show but we never tested it with the SG because the SG was so special oh, it would only allowed, come out for that song. You weren't allowed to touch it. Anyway, one day in Adelaide or Perth, so it was nearly the second last show or the last show, it cut out again. They all cracked the shits and sort of smashed some stuff up apart from the guitar and I took that pretty personally because, oh, no, it, I tested everything. Everything worked, and I swear to God, everything yeah. worked. Blah 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 blah. I didn't really see him again because they went overseas, and boom, they became Jet, this massive mm. band. And then it would have been about two years later, and I was at the Annandale having a drink, and uh, Nick Sester, the singer, comes in and uh, having a beer, blah blah blah. And and he has always been really lovely, dude. And um and we were having a catch up and I was like, oh, you've been pretty busy, Nick. And I said, hey man, it hasn't been keeping me awake at night, but man, what what did what happened? And he goes, oh man, 
It was that fucking SG. Like oh, it had a big okay. So you didn't know until you meet him in the Annandale two years, years later. Oh, yeah, so yeah. the whole time you're thinking, I, I really did fuck that up. I did. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's why I never got taken oh. overseas with him or whatever. I mean, who cares? I probably oh, wouldn't no. have gone with them anyway because they were going. Like they went and never came back, mm. basically. Um, so who knows what could have happened? Probably nothing. But so did I you remember, get an apology from? <laughs> well, no, well, it wasn't Nick's fault. He would yeah. never was grumpy with me, and and I remember Cam was a bit grumpy on the day. But whatever. I mean, and this is nothing personal against any of them yeah. in the band. It's but just I what just happens remember, in that, yeah, and, in that and, and moment. Because it was a massive crowd, a big song. And uh, and then and then I tested everything, but I didn't test the SG. But that's because the sort of the SG was off limits, you know. Mm. What I mean? like, <clears throat> it was just like, oh wow. And then I was, yeah, Nick's like, yeah, man, it was the fucking SG. We are uh, quote unquote like, if you're not allowed to swear yeah. on this podcast, no, but, go nuts. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah, someone test. We worked it out in England, and we got it all fixed up, and now it's fine. And I'm just like, oh, Christ, uh. like whatever. So now it could be massive, famous guitar tech. No, I'm not, <laughs> so, not really that. So annoyed. what did they smash on stage that night? So just the guitars? Uh, it was and just more of the amps. They definitely didn't smash that fucking SG, that's for sure. It, it probably should have. There was a few should've. amps. And then backstage uh, in the dressing room, a few tables got turned over and a few bit of food. So they were proper angry, like. A bit cranky because, yeah, it was but I'd, yeah, it was just like, wow, fuck this, like, bump. Yeah. yeah, it was a bit – they were annoyed. Was the, was the guitar out the whole song sort of thing or was it just, it just kept cutting, cutting in, in and yeah. out? And so when you're trying to do the bump, 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 and, do, 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 yeah. do, and you can't and you do can't. it, there's silence. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and some people in the crowd might be going, this guy's forgotten how to play yeah, the song. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so it, it was uh, – yeah, I don't know. The heat of the moment thing. Like I said, I'm I'm not cranky at any, any of the Jet dudes. But um, it was just one of those things. But um, yeah, so that was one band. I mean, that was one band that I did work for. But I got to work for a heap of great um, other great bands. Um, Anna, my wife, was working with this this band that I was working for as well called the Greats. Yeah, um, from Brisbane. Uh, they were a really good Aussie band for uh, a long time. So what was Anna doing, uh, manager? Or? No, so Anna was the tour manager. So what happened there was she was working at a record company, and we we were um, we were in a relationship. Still are. We've been married for nearly seventeen. Jesus, um, <laughs> you're going to get in trouble here. <laughs> no, it's our wedding anniversary <laughs> on Friday, actually. Oh, there you go. Congrats. Um, yeah. So uh, we'd been yeah, we'd been definitely in a relationship for a long time. And she'd just taken a voluntary redundancy at the from her record company, which was good. And she was just uh, working at the Annandale, helping them out with marketing and stuff. And I would, I was about to, uh, I, I'd actually won a trip to America because I was, I was flying a lot because of work. Yeah. And um, I entered in. It was like a Qantas frequent fly thing, celebrating fifty years of Disneyland in LA. Beautiful. This is no joke. And I was getting – I got a phone call one day as we were deciding on our couch and I thought it was someone pulling my leg but it was this person from Qantas saying, hey, you've just won this trip to Disneyland in LA, all expenses, blah, blah, blah return flights. Wow. And I was like, sick, okay, cool. Anyway, told Anna, thought it was bullshitting. The next day we're packing up a house because we were sort of moving. I get a phone call from um, the greats manager who's this guy called Paul and he goes, hey – I'm in LA, but the greats are about to do this big tour for the rest of the year and I need you to put the team together and I want you to be the tour manager and sound guy. And I'm just like, not this again. Like I don't want to do the double up thing. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, guess what? 
I'm going to be in LA like next week. It sounds like full <laughs> rock star thing. Yeah. We can have a meeting and yeah. do all this stuff. And and I've actually got a plan for you. Why don't you get my partner to be the tour manager because we can share a room, you'll save money, and she's a woman and there's two girls in the band and then they're going to listen to her way more than they listen to me. And Anna's a really good tour manager. She's been doing it her whole life. Again, a bit of a tall story. And so then, how, how much had she done? How not, qualified she, was she? She was qualified that she'd worked at a record company and worked at okay, the Annandale. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You work at the Annandale, you're qualified for anything, <laughs> yeah. believe me. Um, look, basically to be a good tour manager, you just need to be really organised. Probably a good people person as well. 100%. That helps when you're dealing with not very good people person. She was just perfect person that I could see for the job. And, I, and so I put that to Paul, the manager, and he seemed to think it was a really good idea. And so she got the job as the tour manager and I got the job as the production manager and also doing front of house. But that was that's not a bad double up, you know what I mean? Because you're doing the sound and organising the light. It's sort of the, a lot of the same crossover there, but um, it worked really well and we had a really long relationship with that band like um i mean so much so that when our first daughter was born she came on tour with us for a little bit in the tour bus and everything it was pretty good fun but um that was a cool few years so did you fly over there with your free um quite trip <laughs> yeah yeah we um we went to um That's so good it was it was awesome actually looking back at it i was actually going over there to propose as well because i thought i'm going to propose to anna at the grand canyon and uh but on the way we just got to go meet this manager in la and have yeah. a chat about the rest of our life one of the first bands ever worked for which no one can remember but they were amazing was the sleepy jackson yeah they were really cool they were at the point where everyone thought they were amazing and this was before Luke from the Sleepy Jackson became Empire of the Sun, so it was pretty exciting time. That that was my first trip overseas. We went went to England, and that was a lot of fun because not, he hadn't gotten a record deal over there yet. So it was a lot of um, lot of interest in in him and and his band, and uh, but him in particular, I should say. And it was just exciting because I was pretty young and wow, we we're in London, and then we did a big tour around England, and that was cool. And then. Um, and they got to support some pretty big bands. Far out. You've been on a lot of tours or you've, yeah. you've helped well, out a lot of different fa- bands. Well, they were my favourite ones except, I mean, a couple of them actually weren't my favourite ones. I've got, yeah, what was your least favourite? Um, it was actually f- for that band. It was a bummer because it kind of bummed me out, but I don't mind talking about it. But um, it was a, that punk band called The Buzzcocks. Yeah, I've um, heard of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they sing the song that's on a pretty seminal punk band. Um, they had that song that everybody knows from Shrek. Have you ever fallen in love? I think we'll play it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was really excited. I didn't get so how that tour came about was the promoter of that tour contacted me, and I was doing more of a like promoter rep tour management job which is mean you're on the ground when they fly out here from England and you just make sure everything goes smoothly until they go back home or go onto their next port of call wherever that may be and I was really looking forward to it and because you know I kind of like the buzzcocks and oh my god (laughs) from the minute that they, they landed to the minute that they left everything went wrong and then without trying to sound like a nasty person they weren't nice people. So here you are, excited to be doing this thing, excited to meet them, excited to be jumping on tour, and what was the first sort of interaction? 
Um, well, the first sort of interaction was when they got off the plane at Brisbane Airport and they'd just flown in from, I was going to say England, but I can't remember where. And I came up and I went, hey, um, oh God, what was his name? I think it was, I think his name was Pete. This is going to sound really awful, whoever is a big Buzzcocks fan, and I was, but I've kind of tried to repress the memory now. But I got his name wrong, and I called him the wrong name. One was called Steve, one was called Pete, and mm. Pete's died now. So I kind of feel bad talking about it. But anyway, how I said, hey, Pete, I'm Bob. And he goes, I'm Steve. Um. And I was just like, okay, sorry, man. My bad. Anyway, and it probably was my bad because they don't really look too similar, but fuck, I don't know. They're pretty old. Well, they were when I toured with them. And uh, and from then on, it was just like downhill. Everything that could go wrong that was out of my hands went wrong. Like hire cars weren't there. Hotel rooms weren't there. Or if they were there, they were flooded. It was just like crazy shit. Um, like someone broke into the band room at one of the gigs and drank all this really expensive booze that we had to provide. It was just really bad. And then they were sort of, I don't really want to say too much about it, but it was just not fun. And by the end of it, I was a bit um, bit tired and emotional, I guess. But for every bad tour, there was, there was, I mean, I could probably count on one hand how many shit tours I did. And mm. I did a lot of tours because the best tours, the best tour I ever did, let's turn this conversation around. To a positive. To a positive, yeah. Was from... Uh, this band who I don't even know if they're around anymore and no one's probably heard of them, but they were called Comets on Fire. They were from San Francisco and they were incredible. Like that was kind of like psychedelic jazz blues, but they were the cruisiest, nicest dudes. Nothing was a problem. Like if the something was going wrong, which thankfully really didn't, but they were like, cool, man. Hey, can we get a beer? Like, can we stop and get a beer? They were just so happy to be in Australia. And they were playing some pretty big shows. Like they did Meredith Festi- Music Festival and, and a few others and, and lots of big shows in, in all the capital cities. And I just remember thinking that was the best tour I've ever done. I didn't pay for a thing. They would kind of use touring as a, a holiday from, from, I guess, their wives and <laughs> children back at home. Right. So they'd all come over here. And every night with the merch money, they'd take all the merch money and that's what would pay for the next day's expenses. Okay. And they included me in that as well, which was totally not – they didn't have to, but they were like, no, nah, man, you're, you're, a, you're a member of the band And the merch itself now. pretty well? Yeah, yeah. It made, like hundreds, well, maybe a couple of thousand, I don't know. But yeah. we were getting – but the thing is as well, like when you're playing shows and stuff, you don't really have to pay for food and drinks that night or whatever. So, But all day we'd go to – like I'd try and take them to like – Fun park, not fun parks. What are they called? Koala, yeah, yeah, like the reptile park and yeah. stuff like that. So we did that, and and we did a few cool things, and and then one day we just they just wanted to hang at the beach all day, cool. So a few of them hide surfboards, and it was just unreal. Like it was like a holiday, and then we're like, okay, we got to go do a gig now. <laughs> but the gigs <laughs> that's are cool. awesome. That's cool though, especially when you're on tour, you've got so much time to chill. To, uh, Why to, wouldn't to, you do to, it to, that way? Though? Yeah, yeah. They, it was a big eye opener, but like now. If ever I'm going on tour, it's the way to do it. Like you're there to have a good time, right? Yeah, like yeah. I mean, the band I'm in, yeah, Lion Island, Lion, right? Lion Island, yeah. We are Central we are, Coast band. True. Um, we are gonna go up to Yamba and Tormina. Say so that's not really good for anyone on the Central Coast, but hey, man, this is a podcast. It goes yeah, it goes everywhere. Right it here. does actually go everywhere. Know, it's <laughs> gone international, <laughs> but um, but like. 
we're not going to worry about doing a sound. I think we're just going to go for a surf and a fish. And nice. Go, so you use uh, it, use it as a using the band as sort of like a way way yeah, to get yeah, away yeah. And, and have it, a bit of fun. It is going to pay for it. Like we kind of use the like we put all the money that we earn through doing shows and merch and stuff throughout the year. We don't split it all at the end of the night. It just goes into an account. So yeah. like all the petrol that we're going to be using, et cetera, et cetera, to get up and back. Yeah, we do that. We do the same thing. Yeah, so we've got it. Got, got it in. Done. Just got it in an account. I mean, the account is in my bank account, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I'm so not. I'm not touching it. Account. I promise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, um, one of the cool things that you did uh, a number of years ago, and we're just looking at um, some of the photos that you got on the on the wall in the studio here. You did this thing called Band on the Barge. Very sure, very yeah. cool idea. So so tell us about that. Yeah, sure. The Band on the Barge is still the most punk rock thing I've ever done in my whole life 2013 nearly 10 years ago um the owner of the Kilcare bottle shop a bloke called gary came up to me one day in 2013 he said hey bob i've got an idea i want to put some bands on a barge and i went cool and he said you know how to do that sort of stuff don't you and i went 100 mate do it all the time <laughs> but uh but you know he sort of knew that i worked in um in live music and stuff so i had a vague idea i guess plus i'd worked at the annandale i can do anything and uh, and right. yeah, and I said yeah, sure, and uh, and basically picked up the ball and ran with it with his help. Basically, he well, he helped. I actually don't think we paid for had to pay for anything because everything was um, got done on like people's goodwill. Yeah, because it was a and first so this time. barge is out in the water, out in the water, off Hardy's Bay. Um, and one thing that was the reason why I say it was so punk rock is because. Uh, we thought we'd better contact the council just to say, oh, just saying. Yeah, let you, you know, know what's happening. Just letting you know what's happening because invariably someone's going to complain and invariably they did. But um, And they said, oh, no, you can't do that. You need to have all these permits and you need mm. public liability and blah, blah, boring. blah, blah, blah. And I, 100% boring. And I said, well, actually we don't because we're not on any of your land. We're playing on a barge, which is floating. So it's not on anyone's land. And, they, and I didn't know think they would buy that. And they replied going, oh, yeah, okay, cool. No worries. Well, good luck with your event. Hope it goes well. And I'm so like, do you think you, you were right with what you were saying or were you just thinking uh, maybe I, that's well, right? I, I still believe that I'm right because okay. we're not on anyone's land. We were floating on the water. But the thing is if people are going to stop and sit on the side of the shore like they did, yeah. I can't help that. Like I wasn't walking up to people, forcing them to come and watch. We were just happening to play on a barge that was moored in the bay. And some people turned up and too. And some people turned up, but it turns out heaps of people turned <laughs> so up. Man. Over a thousand of people <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah. And you can see in the photos that it stretched all the way down from the jetty back down towards <laughs> the um towards pretty much the whole way down to the club. And what did council say then? They freaked, man. On um well, on the no- the day they didn't do anything, they didn't even show up, thank God. But on Monday, I got this pretty angry phone call from, I can't remember who, but it was some, like, boring person. And they were freaking at me, going, rah, 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 tore me apart a bit. And I said, hey, look, no one got hurt, right? And they said, yeah, but if you're going to do this again, rah, 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 rah. Mm. They kind of read the riot act. And unfortunately, that kind of put, I mean, it, it did go on for another four or five years, but every year since that first one, we had to fill out, like, you know, what were going to happen if, like, this was such and such thing might happen? And, like, what are they called? Like, basically, you have to plan for everything. And I, I every sort of, of scenario yeah, that can yeah, happen. And I was like, I don't know, that tsunami might come or an asteroid. Like, I, 
I think people have to do that sort of stuff if they want to get married on the beach, you know, Probably. like like they've got to work out all the scenarios or the incidents that could happen. And- yeah, it's just it's just got way too bureaucratic mm. and, and annoying. And then that and then Gary, um, to his credit, because we weren't getting paid or anything, he was paying for everything and, and then people started to make money off it. Like Mr. Whippy Vans were showing up and stuff and making killings and mm. stuff. And, uh, and, and, you know, I can't blame him, but at the same time, Gary would be having to foot the bill for the public liability bill each year, which we never had to use because no one was getting hurt. People were there having a good time, but that was a thing that we had to deal with. And in the end, I think it just got it got killed by the whole like red tape. Yeah, red tape, public liability. People and it sucks because be like you're saying, Mr. Whippy and all these other people are like starting to locals are making money from this thing that you're putting on, and that's what it should all be about. Yeah, and then it just got. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a problem with like locals making money from it, like all the cafes and stuff down the street. Like I was happy for them. Yeah, like, it's it a good, good community sort of 100%, thing. Percent, but it just kind of got a bit sucky when. Um, it was all came down to one person paying for the public liability. It wasn't even me as well. It was it was Gary at the bottle shop. It just got a bit. It wasn't fun anymore. You know, like that first one was really fun, and nothing went wrong. And maybe we should have just quit while we were ahead. But it was still good. Like the next four or five ones that we did, but and and the barge. What was the barge made of? That barge in the photo. That's mm. a proper oyster. Like lease boat, yeah, and we just put um like old pallets in that and build a stage on the top. But then yeah, one time I built a barge out of screwed together like pallets, yeah. But in the gap between the top and the bottom of the pallet, I stuffed full of uh, just Coca Cola plastic wow. bottles, all with their lids tied up, and it and that was held super a band. Buoyant. Wow. The I mean, let's not forget that these bands are just the maximum. It was three people with like acoustics. There was no backline or drum kits or anything, but it was solid. We could have had it easy. It was so buoyant. Yeah, yeah. I was really pleased with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would have been shit scared standing on that thing, but then I suppose once you see it, how buoyant it, it was, is, man. You you couldn't have fought for it. I was like, <laughs> think about how big eight pill, eight pallets are. It was huge. Like if you've fallen yeah. off that, you've had too much to drink. <laughs> um, so what, what what sort of gear do you have that bands can use around here? I mean, I'm looking at a drum kit. Yeah. I'm looking at a bass guitar. I'm looking at – you've got everything. Obviously the bands can bring whatever they want or the artists can bring whatever they want in, maybe failing a grand piano because it won't fit. But, um, yeah, I've got a nice five-piece Truth drum kit um, with a beautiful selection of – Symbols. I've got a Fender Vibralux Reverb, an Orange AD30 um, amp guitar amps. I've got a big Fender. Uh, what's that bass amp? I love the Orange. I love the Fender amp. Yeah, I've got the my original PV Bandit, which is good if you yeah. want to get that metal tone. Jeez, that's that's an older one. <laughs> it's actually I love that amp. Um, got a nice core keyboard which is full like you know it's a full midi controller as well yeah. i've got all the bells and whistles on the digital side of things i've got um like an apollo interface and i can run logic or pro tools or uh whatever you want yeah you got the sm7b i'm, I'm running so that at the moment using, this is the best thing this- actually the best thing before we start talking about what you got about this podcast was all I had to do was drive over to your house. I didn't I have to bring anything because you've got everything. Hopefully it all works. It says it's recording. <laughs> um, I showed oh, that you would be something a as well. You've got to download the uh, the app, the remote control app. Yeah. I've got, you know, what you'd find in pretty much any yeah. decent studio. And uh, I'd love 
for anyone to come and hit me up on my website, which is again www.bangersandmosh, B A N G E R Z A N D M O S H. Dot com. There it is. And come and check it out and hopefully come and record. I think once people get in here, they have a look. Photos don't do it justice, actually. Once they get in here, they'll be wowed by it. It's the Central Coast's newest recording studio. It's in Hardy's Bay. It's called Bangers and Mosh Studio. You've got to come and check it out. Come and meet Bob. Say good day to him. Bob, thanks so much for jumping on the pod. There goes the cow again. Is that the time? We're out of time. No, we're not out of time. (laughs) But uh, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast, telling all your stories. Um, Fascinating um, insight about uh, you being on tour with all those bands. And um, I hope your guitar, the SG here, if you've got one, if hopefully it got two. Yeah, you got two. Do they well, work? One's an epiphone and one's a proper. <laughs> They're not going to cut out when I'm when I'm recording. Are you going to be no, my no, girl? No, no, no. Mine are, I keep mine in good <laughs> nick, unlike Jet. <laughs> Bob, thanks so much for jumping on the Thank pod. You, Sean. Cheers, mate. See ya. Bob Trigg, the man, the myth, the sausage legend. That's what we'll call him. Um, thanks for jumping on, man. I'm sure that your studio is going to really kick off in the new year, um, especially with an attitude like yours. All right, time for this. Letters! Yes, the part of the show called Letters, where you can write on in and say whatever you bloody want um, about the show, about the interviews, about me, um, absolutely anything you want. This one is from Liam. Uh, I have been uploading some videos. So obviously I film the podcast sometimes and I've been uploading them to YouTube. Uh, you can find lots of snippets from lots of the episodes on there. Just look for the Street Press podcast uh, on YouTube. And Liam wrote on the Darren Kiss Chasey video. He says, I'm really loving these. Thanks for these. I wonder if they'll ever make a new album. Well, Kiss Chasey have announced that they're coming back in 2023 and I think they're about to go on tour in May as well. So in terms of whether they'll release something new, I would love to see a new Kiss Chasey record. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? They're going to be on tour in May. They've got plenty of time between now and May to to knock up something. So Darren and the boys get cracking. Thanks for your message, Liam, and I will continue to upload uh, videos on the Street Press Podcast YouTube account, so make sure you uh, subscribe to that. And don't forget, if you want to write into the show, hit up thestreetpresspodcast.com. On there, you'll find the segment Letters. You can also hit Request as well. If you want me to interview an artist, you can request that on there as well. As for my band, The Ritzy Kids, this Sunday we are playing a stadium show. So we've gone from playing in a pub where we played one gig at the pub and now we're going to go play at the stadium. <laughs> it's at uh, Central Coast Stadium. We're playing just before the Mariners game. Um, we did this song for the Mariners for their season, 2022-23 season. And, uh, well, it was a cover of the Gunners, Guns N' Roses song. And now they've asked us to play at the Pre-Show Entertainment. So if you get there, we should be on about 230 on Sunday afternoon, catch the Richie Kids. We're going to play the Gunners song and we're also going to do one other song of ours. So heaps pumped for that. Don't forget the headline gig, the big Christmas headline gig at the Sunken Monkey Hotel is happening December 16. We've got Kailani Artists. We've got Star Generation. They're going to be there. Good local acts. They're going to be supporting us on the night. And people are getting behind this gig as well. Four Pines Brewery have decided to give a can of beer to everyone who buys a ticket to the gig. So it's worked out to be pretty good. So you can get a can of beer, 
Pizzas are 15 bucks on the night, only four ticket holders to the show, and you get a ticket with uh, three bands playing. So that's a beer, food, and a show for under 50 bucks. If you want to come along, it's going to be a great night. We've got some uh, giveaways as well on the night, and who knows, Santa might be there too. <laughs> I'm just saying. If you want to grab a ticket to the show, we'd love to see you there. Head to theritzykids.com. All right, don't forget... This is the Street Press Podcast. We drop episodes every single Wednesday. There's going to be a new one out next week. Until then, ta-da. Ta-da.